4: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
0: This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything on this show, including yours. Send them to ouramericanstories.com. They're some of our favorites. And now we bring you one of our regular occurring segments brought to you by the help of our friends at Reader's Digest. Every year they host a competition where folks submit stories about why they consider their town to be the nicest place in America. Here's Robbie with our latest story from Reader's Digest and it comes from Columbiana, Ohio.
7: Don Arthurs was born and raised in Columbiana, Ohio. Although his primary interest laid in music and performance, He realized that probably wasn't going to pay the bills. After a few years off after high school and some prompting from a friend, Don enrolled at Youngstown State University and received his degree in computer information systems and naturally started applying for jobs.
8: Sent 35 resumes out and got two offers because Youngstown, Ohio was not really known for being a tech corridor or anything like that at the time. I ended up taking a job with a company that did audience response systems. It was a really interesting concept and uh, I really enjoyed that. I worked for that company for about a year and a half. The year was uh, 2001, whenever the uh, 9-11 attacks occurred my position, since it was so heavily reliant on travel after 9-11 happened, it hurt that business quite a bit. So within the course of, you know, just a week or so after those attacks occurred, they lost a large percentage of their clients. They had to make some cuts to the uh, staff and I was one of the cuts. And I was pretty devastated. Obviously, um, (laughs) I had the insurance for my family, my wife, taught at a, a private Christian school, so she didn't have insurance. And um, just two weeks after that, we found out that uh, we were going to have uh, our first child. So it was like a very stressful time. And I, I remember meeting with uh, the two fellows that I worked with in Boardman, Ohio. And I remember we, just, we got together and we were talking about how we had ideas and that kind of spawned a conversation about starting our own company and so a few months later we ended up starting a company called Turning Technologies. We ended up uh, gaining some traction and got in with some book publishers that offered our product uh, along with college textbooks so that worked out rather well because you know overnight we had this massive sales force then pushing our product and it really really spawned Uh, early growth there for our company. After so long, we ended up um, deciding to try to bring in some outside investment in to help grow more and um, ended up selling majority share of our uh, company then. In 2006, I started talking with a fella named Len DiRico and he was a minister at a local church here in Colombiana. Len would just share his heart and his desire for a drama ministry that he wanted to create. And I guess over the course of a year, I really, you know, started to buy into the idea. And I thought, you know, that would be uh, something that I think would fit well within the town of Columbiana. You know, people kind of referred to Columbiana as like a little Mayberry where most of the neighbors knew each other and most of the people were friendly and that sort of thing. But So we ended up talking quite a bit about it, and after the course of a year, we started looking at buildings in which we could house such a drama ministry in. And I remember we looked at, like, some old grocery stores that had just nothing really seemed to fit. In the meantime, there was still an operating cinema in the downtown right on the square. It was called the Columbiana Cinema at the time, and... You know, originally it opened up as a movie theater called the Manos Theater back in like 1952. It had come to a point where it was in uh, it was in need of fixing up because it was it was getting uh, in pretty bad shape. And we had the conversation one day. I wonder if the uh, I wonder if the owner would consider selling that to us. So we ended up meeting with him and told him kind of our idea what we wanted to do and he agreed that uh, he would be willing to sell it so we ended up purchasing in well i guess it was february of 2007 is when we purchased the columbiana cinema but at that time uh len actually because of some personal reasons there had to he was going to be the one kind of running the ministry the drama ministry and then he just because of personal reasons decided that uh, he wasn't able to do it at that point but you know over the course of the year my wife and i got pretty excited about the idea and we didn't necessarily know how it was going to work out because i was still working a full-time job as a software engineer but we we made the the decision to go ahead and purchase the building anyhow and to start the renovation process to see where it leads. And
0: you're listening to Don Arthurs tell his story. And in the end, you'll be hearing more about his town story, Columbiana, Ohio. And in the end, towns are filled up of people and their stories and what they decide to do with their town determines what happens to that town. This story comes to us in conjunction with work with Reader's Digest. And as we had described earlier, they host a competition where folks submit stories about why they consider their town to be the nicest place in America. And our story about Columbiana, Ohio, about Don Arthur's desire to start a drama ministry on his own dime in an entrepreneurial way. And in the end, as you're listening, a pure leap of faith into the unknown, and this is in the end what makes towns too. Our entrepreneurs, whether they be the kind who run businesses, or the nonprofit types who start enterprises like a drama ministry, this is what makes and shapes our communities. When we come back, the story of Don Arthurs, the story of Columbiana, Ohio, here on Our American Stories. And we continue with Our American Stories and the story of Don Arthurs and the story of Columbiana, Ohio and the story of why they were selected by Reader's Digest as one of the nicest places to live in America. When we last left off, Don had just brought an old movie theater in downtown Columbiana to use that space for a drama ministry. Back to Don.
8: We opened it up on May 8th of uh, 2008 as the main street theater so we still ran some first-run movies there for about a year year and a half but intermixed with the movies we would um try to start our own little productions uh we didn't have a separate production company or anything but we would um work with some local artists there and one in particular his name was jim kokenauer he uh he had written a couple scripts there, and he had called me up the one day and asked if I would be interested in looking at one in particular called um, Christmas in Columbia, and I think it was. So I met with him, and it was a, it was a cute script, and I thought that the uh, the town would uh, enjoy something like that.
7: And somewhere around then, Eric Offenberg, Crown's former artistic director, came
6: onto the scene. Um, just. I, I kind of came in at the beginning, but I wasn't there at the very beginning. I graduated from Bowling Green State University with a degree in theater. And uh, I was determined that I was going to work in theater despite my parents saying, you'll, you'll never get a job in theater. Um, and I did um, in Cleveland uh, at at, uh, Karamu house, uh, which is kind of an African-American cultural center in East Cleveland. And I worked in their drama theater for youth program. Um, one of the things I found out is that I absolutely hated professional theater. Um, it was too, um, catty. It was, it was a difficult time, um, lots of backstabbing and things like that. And so I, I kind of shunned away from theater at that point. Also at that point, I got married and I moved to this area, um, to the Columbiana area. Essentially, um, I wasn't doing any theater. I worked in retail for a while, but then I decided, uh, the one part of my job there that I liked was teaching drama um, to three and to four and five year olds on Saturday mornings. And so I thought, well, teaching might be a way to go. My, my family are all educators. And so I, I gave in, I, I started, uh, I went back to school, um, got my license to be a special education teacher. I worked here in the Columbiana area for 15 years doing that. During that time, I also kind of got uh, sucked into Crown Theater. So probably 10 years that I stayed away from theater after had a bad taste in my mouth from it. I was driving uh, through town and they had a sign up that said, the Voice of Main Street Competition. And I, I'm a performer. I enjoy singing. And so I thought, well, I'll check it out. So I called. and. Got the information and we had an audition for that, and they picked folks, and it was kind of like a um, like an American Idol kind of thing. And so there were a number of performers, and this was actually the second year that they had done it. So somebody had already won the year before, but they. <laughs> They had said, um, if you win this, you get these this prize, and then you you also get to perform before shows and movies and things like that that we have throughout the year. So you're like the voice of Main Street for the year. Um, I wasn't looking for that, I was just looking for performing. And so I thought, well, I'll get back into it. And I won that second year, and then the theater closed down again. Like a, he, he had purchased it, renovated it, and decided this isn't working, I'm not making any money, so I'm closing it down. I felt bummed out because I you know I felt gypped because I, I was the voice of Main Street at that point and uh, then it closed and I was like go figure one month after I do that I, they close well they opened up about a year later but they were doing a, a kid show um, Crown had organized and they were doing a kids show so we ended up putting a cast together and
8: keep in mind that i i know very little about theater at this point and um uh, in fact we we really didn't even have um adequate stage lighting or uh, even the backstage area is pretty small because the building was not originally designed as a live production theater it was just uh a movie theater,
6: and I brought my daughter to audition for that, and uh, ended up helping direct it, and, and through the whole process. Uh, so, and that's kind of how I got involved in directing here as well.
8: But uh, we ended up, you know, doing the best we could, and we put together. Um, it was a really cute show, and uh, we had a nice response from the community. They enjoyed, they enjoyed getting involved with it and being part of it, and then also attending. And we thought, you know, that was that was fun. It was uh, a really neat way to, um, I guess, get involved in the community, you know, as an outreach. And um
6: Crown was trying to grow and having difficulty. And uh, at that point, I said uh, to them, "Hey, we." you know, I I can help you put together a, a winning season, something that's going to put uh, people in the seats, um, and will be profitable and go along with your mission um, with Crown Theater. Um, and I said if if there's a way to to pay me to do it, I can put a whole lot of more time into it. But uh, if if not, I'm willing to volunteer those services. And so we did. We picked uh, one of our first seasons, which was pretty successful, and then just kept going from there. And that's how I kind of got involved with Crown Theater.
8: What we were doing, we wanted it to be uh, family friendly so that it was a safe space for, you know, parents to drop their kids off and they didn't have to worry about, you know, what what's going to, you know, what their kids might um, be exposed to or, you know, we we basically just wanted a place because at, at this time, you know, I had I had three kids at the time and, you know, I just thought how important it was as a parent uh, to not worry about, you know, where my kids are, and what they're doing, you know, if they're getting into something they shouldn't. And so we we just wanted this place to be um, a place that parents could drop their kids off and not worry, you know.
6: We leave the drama on the stage. In other words, um, when you come to to play practice, it's not about who said what, who did what, gossip, that kind of stuff. Uh, More more so um, just general kind of moral... code of conduct that we have where you know you're not talking behind people's back you're not saying bad things about other folks there's no you don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable so and and some other um issues that you know swearing is something that we don't do because a lot of times we have kids around um and and a lot of times our, our goal was to our goal was to make family friendly entertainment. And so that limits us to the number of shows that we can do just because some of the content stuff we didn't feel was appropriate for a full family to come and see. So <laughs> As Crown kind of grew, I I kind of implemented my my uh, my experience of hating the exclusive theater community to an inclusive theater community and so we wanted to pick shows that had that wanted to give everybody a chance to be in so uh, typically when we have auditions here at crown we we typically get 120 people that audition and we put 120 people on the cast list and obviously some of those drop out um and but we we like big casts that first season we just started building that up and uh running the theater as, as a family, um, it really uh, with a family kind of business model.
0: And we're listening to Don Arthurs and Eric Offenberg tell the story of how they created a community theater that mattered in their small town of Columbiana, Ohio, and why that matters as it related to this small town becoming one of the nicest places to live in America thanks to a Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest does this contest every year. And this is how we improve towns, folks. In the end, great community spaces, great restaurants, great arts, great entertainment, and great, great places where families can gather. But it takes people to do it. And when we come back, we continue with the story of Don Arthurs and his merry band of warriors who decided to improve their small town. That story continues here on Our American Stories.
3: hit nation playlist there's new free shows and movies to love every week say free this week in your xfinity voice remote
2: hi i'm cindy crawford and i'm the founder of meaningful beauty well i don't know about you but like i never liked being told oh wow you look so good for your age like why even bother saying that why don't you just say you look great at any age every age That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at meaningfulbeauty.com.
7: We
8: went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance.
0: we return with Our American Stories and with our final segment from Columbiana, Ohio's Crown Theater Productions and what sets them apart from other small town theater companies. Let's pick up where we last left off.
6: And we we encourage people to, you know, a lot of times theaters in an area are territorial and and that kind of thing. We encourage our folks if, if they're not getting what they want at Crown to go to other places, but we've had a lot of folks that have gone to other places and come back and said, uh, I had a parent that said, First of all, our first rehearsal at this theater, I've never heard the F word used so much. And just, we, I just, we appreciate what we have there at Crown and, and that kind of thing. So, but like I said, we encourage all all genres, all uh, all of the different uh, theater areas for all of our family members, that whatever's gonna make them um, excited about being in the arts. You know, we do we do sometimes catch a little flack uh, or a reputation of being kind of goody two shoes, that kind of stuff from other theaters. But that's a formula that works for us, and it, it's really cool to see full families coming to be in a show. Um, there, there's kind of a it's almost we almost call it like a no-risk theater because. Um, in most shows, when I say most, there's certain shows that we can't cast everybody that auditions, but um, when we have a show and we can have a giant chorus in that show, um, it's kind of, it's nice for uh, kids to come and audition and not worry about not getting a part or or something like that, but they know they're going to have a part. And, And then parents and siblings and things like that, we have full families that come and do theater together, which is a Great opportunity and ministry for families as well. We have people that come back and say, well, I, I really don't like this show, but I'm going to audition for it anyways because I want to be a part of it. And that's, that's just a testament to the folks that are involved with Crown and the staff here and um, everything, that, everything that gets put into it.
7: But in 2015, Crown Theater would stumble onto a new type of production, one that would change their theater community in the town of Columbiana for
8: good. Debbie Solman became our executive director for Crown Theatre Productions. Debbie had attended a special needs production at a local church in Canton, Ohio. That experience, I think that was in 2015, she said when she left, you know, she was moved so much by their performance and the, um, I guess, the authenticity of the performance. Like, when these folks got on stage, like, It it wasn't like they were, you know, sometimes in in theater, you can can really deal with like egos, (laughs) you know, you're dealing with artists, you know, so you you get a lot of egos and stuff. And, but she said it was so different, you know, like everybody just, they were just there to have fun. And it was so, so different. It was like a relief, like, wow, like that's, that's why we want to do it. Just, you know, for the fun and the love of it, not, necessarily to see her name up on a billboard or anything like that you know what I'm saying so she came back and I think it was at our next board meeting she had told the rest of us about her experience and how much she said it moved her um, I think she was moved to tears after the performance she said it was so good and and asked what we thought about trying to start our own special needs productions I mean of course we were all on board we loved the idea and uh, Eric Offenberg At the time, he was our artistic director for Crown.
6: Me being a special education teacher for 15 years, um, it was just kind of, my worlds collided at that point, and um, we started our our special needs production. At this point, we, we were just planning on doing one show. We did The Little Mermaid. Every actor has some sort of a special need, and, and then we have a great group of volunteers that we call attendants. Um, each actor gets assigned an attendant that helps them out, whatever needs they are. And, you know, we push a little bit for independence and, and for growth. So if an actor needs somebody on stage feeding them each line right behind them, then that, that attendant dresses in black, the actor is in a costume, and they and they stand there and feed the lines to them. But if, if they're able to memorize a line and you know some attendants stand on the sidelines and in the wings and, and send their actor on when it's time and get them when they come off and change costumes and that kind of thing. But we make it possible for everybody to participate no matter what the special need is. And so we've kind of built that to two shows a year with our special needs program. A year or so of putting on those productions, one of the
8: grandmothers she couldn't believe, you know, the difference that she saw even in her grandson when he was up on stage, and it, it actually moved her so much that she saw where Reader's Digest was doing their um, a search for uh, the nicest place in America for 2019. So she wrote a letter to them, telling them about Crown Theater Production Special Needs Program. They contacted us and came out and started doing the interviews and and such. And um, and then they went out into the community and uh, and they really were moved as well when they saw the productions because we invited them to watch some of the au- auditions and the rehearsals. And, um.
7: and that year, Columbiana, Ohio became Reader's Digest's nicest place in America.
8: <laughs> I remember the day that we had the announcement and the excitement in that room uh, it was just, I thought the roof was gonna go off and stop, you know? There, There was so much excitement, but it was a really fun experience.
7: Crown Theater's special needs program did more than they had ever imagined it could.
8: Once people saw the change in their kids and stuff when they came out for the productions, how it, like it gave them some opportunities that they had never had before, where, you know, they were had community, they had basically a group to get to know each other and to see some come in for the first day of auditions being very reserved and kinda like in their shells over a course of several months that they got together. By the time the production, you know, like (laughs) they were just almost different kids. Like they just came to life and it was just remarkable the parents were like so grateful for you know the opportunity and you know the change that they even saw that it brought um, with their kids and um, it was such a cool experience uh, all around and it really became just a really cool environment where um, you saw people get along that maybe outside you know o- over Facebook that sort of thing maybe wouldn't get along wouldn't even consider talking to each other, you know what I mean? Like, whenever they came in the doors of the theater, they became family. And, and that was the thing that, you know, was really big for us, is we called it our Crown family. You know, because families have dysfunction, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you still love your family.
7: After 13 years of running Crown Theater productions, the Arthurs were faced with the fact that they could no longer financially sustain the theater. But with the impact that Crown had made on the community, Columbiana jumped into action. And Eric Offenberg, now the chair of the Columbiana Chamber of Commerce, has started the Columbiana Cultural Collective, a nonprofit who hopes to buy and continue operating the theater and Crown Theater Productions.
8: I speak for my wife and I here in that our heart is that, you know, the, the dream of theater, of what Crown Theater Productions has been able to create this family in this town our heart is that it continues to live on for, you know, generations.
0: And a great job, as always, by Robbie on the production of that piece and that storytelling. And a special thanks to Don Arthurs for telling his story and for inspiring anybody listening that you can make a difference in your town. You can start that local theater. You can start that local restaurant. You can build up the cultural identity of your town and make it a better place to live. And now he's hoping the chamber will pick it up and run with it he gave his time he gave his money and the idea is out there and it has clearly made columbiana ohio one of the nicest places in america to live the story of columbiana the story of don arthur's here on our american stories
3: from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast
4: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18+.
3: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to
2: Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
8: We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude.
3: You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by
8: visiting musicgives.org.
0: This is Our American Stories, and we tell stories of all kind here on this show. And by the way, we live in a state where it rains a heck of a lot. We broadcast here in Oxford, Mississippi, about an hour south of Memphis. And our next story is about rain. Or rather, an innovative entrepreneur's company that collects and bottles rainwater for sale out in Dripping Springs, Texas. That's right, Dripping Springs. That company is called Richard's Rainwater. And its founder, Richard Heineken, can probably be considered the godfather of bottled rainwater in the United States. Here's Richard in our own Monty Montgomery with the story.
8: The idea behind Richard's rainwater started because of a dirty Texas well. Well, I moved out
1: to uh, Dripping Springs. I lived in Austin, Texas and moved out to the Dripping Springs to help my sister-in-law build the Austin Zoo out. Its her, her parents had this property out there and Susie, my wife, and her sister lived out there and her sister was uh, raising goats and anyway, it turned into a zoo. So I moved to Dripping Springs and built a house and out here in the hill country there's no other source for water except for well water and so I drilled a well and <laughs> the well guy, was, he's was leaving with a fistful of my dollars, says, Mr. Heineken, you have a lot of water there. That's a darn good well, a good flowing well. And I went, oh man, I was so excited. Go in the house, brand new house, right? And took a shower. The hydrogen sulfite was so bad, I almost threw up in the shower. And the water was so hard, when Susie did the laundry, the uh, Levi's could stand up in the corner, and our hair stood out like fright wigs. <laughs> and we said, man, we can't handle this. Called a uh, softener guy, I said, oh yeah, that's some pretty damn hard water there. You can, I can put you two tandem water softeners together. I went, Oh my God. So I looked into solutions, and I ran across a doctor who became a good friend of mine, Mike McKelvin who has started catching rainwater for his wife to really realize the well water out here basically kills plants. It uh, chokes their leaves. If you spray it on their leaves, it carbonizes over so they can't, they, they suffocate. So he started a rainwater collection for his wife's roses and they flourished and his house flourished. He, went, he got into putting in his house. And he flourished and he was a really advocate for it. And I met him and I became one myself. So I looked into storage and found a fiberglass manufacturer in Texas and ordered a fiberglass tank and put it in and did a real, real Goldberg job. And it was all kind of new technology. to me, But just plumbing is all it was. So it's just the water level. Water, if your gutter is higher than the tank entrance, it goes in by itself, right? And so I did that and hooked up a pump to it and I took a shower and I was the happiest guy in the world. The soap just came right off. It lathered up like you can't believe. It smelled wonderful. It drank good. And the dishes, instead of being chalky, all of a sudden became uh, clear. So my neighbor comes over and says, God, would you guys just buy some new dishes? And I said, no, we're just washing them in rainwater now. He said, oh my God, well, I've been buying new dishes every three years and a new dishwasher every three years. So I want that. So I went, called back the fiberglass guy and said hey I want to be a distributor and uh, he said okay oh let's work a deal so so I was selling fiberglass tanks like crazy I was the biggest tank salesman in the whole planet I put in you know literally hundreds of these things and I've got a thousand people were relying on Tanktown as their source for rainwater filters and you know maintenance prop things and so that's how it happened Then one day, I'm putting in these rainwater systems. I have a crew of guys, and I'm filling up our water for our consumption to keep cool, the whole crew, you know, in, a, in one of those igloo five-gallon water buckets. One day we ran out, super hot day, sun, sun in July. And I, so I said, okay, guys, I gotta, I'm going back home to fill up our water again. They said, okay, hurry back. So on the way I thought, you know, I should be able to pull into a store and buy this stuff and the bulb went off right so i went oh, okay and then so then i was just focused on bottling this stuff so i read the the regulations on a water supply, realized that I needed to be a, a, certif- a, a licensed operator to run a water supply. So I was, started going to correspondence schools, and I went to Berkeley, Cal, and Texas A&M, and I got, my, I got a license to be a public water supply operator, got a permit number and all, and then I started building a plant. And Anyway, then I get to TCQ, the, the government agency that over, oversees our water supply in Texas, and they said, Well, Mr. Heineken, that's a pretty good idea but rainwater is not approved as a source for water. I said, okay, so where are you getting your water? He goes, well, you know where we get our water. We get out of Lake Travis. So where does that come from? Well, you know, it has, it's like rain. I said, okay. That's <laughs> okay. So I'm going to, that's why, you know, so we need to make this, be able to have this as a source for water. Oh, I, I don't know, sir. And another thing, Mr. Heineken, now that we got this conversation going, we can't talk to you anymore because you're not a licensed engineer. So I went, okay, great, well, I will come back. So I just had to prove it to them that it was a good source for water. So I built a little pilot bottling plant, and they said they proved that. Built it with my own bare hands, I'm a blacksmith, I'm a sculptor. I've cut the pipes and, and used transits and got the right things and welded everything up and then we go out and put more systems in. I get a more some more money, go out and buy more metal, put it all up. And then I thought, man, this is I'm I can't really start this yet. I got the plants going, I got everything going. I need some tanks. I ended up buying 13 tanks and we had like 250,000 gallons. And, and then I had the engineers and he's a friend of mine and he basically wrote it on a napkin. I said, here, write this out, make it look real official. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna micro We're going to put it through really tiny filters, and we're going to separate it after it goes into a couple of tanks, and then we're going to put it through UV light, and then we're going to store it in a sanitary tank, and then we're going to put, just before we bottle we're going to put ozone in it. Now, ozone, it's a really great sanitizer. Cities' water supplies use chlorine, and chlorine is a cancer-causing chemical, and so we didn't want to do that. The Clean Water Act required public water supplies to use chlorine, and there was no other source of sanitation they would approve you know i have a saying the solution to pollution is dilution and it's the same thing these cities use they just say well okay here's a 10 gallons of chlorine and so we're going to have to mix that with 13,970 gallons of water and that'll do it okay it might taste a little chlorine but anyway can't do that and so my plan was, I said, okay, here's the deal. If you take me to court and I'll, and here's the we'll end of it, we have to end up in court. I'm gonna tell the jury that, okay, here's what they want me to do with my rainwater. They want me to put chlorine in it and that will cause cancer, possibly. And then rainwater—we've already proved it has no cancer-causing byproducts in it from the way we sanitize it. So it seems like a, a really smart thing to do. And so, and then also, if you say I can't do it, then then it'll be—it won't be good because the jury is going to say, "Well, Mr. to we certainly don't want you to get cancer, so we like your idea." They said well we kind of like your deal and it's also sustainable and then we started doing testing on it and and then did their monthly reports and it all always came back just beautiful and at that point more people in austin and out in the hill country were getting into rainwater collection so everybody's calling this interesting saying hey uh, i i, w- I want to put a whole rainwater system in my house so four years later we got the first public water supply using rainwater, the sole source of water without using chlorine, and then that's it. It's all over town, and it's a pretty damn good feeling. But it's a little difficult to get. But Richard makes the bottling
8: process sound pretty easy.
1: After catching it and put it in a, in a collection tank, that's the first thing to do. Like The city of Austin doesn't have to worry about that because they just suck it out of the lake we have to put it in a tank that has no light in it because light makes algae and algae is is a is not our friend and then we process that through uh, more filtrations and then uv light and then uh, finally just before it goes into our bottling line we add uh, ozone to it at uh, a, a certain percentage It only lasts 15 minutes and then um, and then we put it in the bottle and we seal the top of the bottle and then so that's a perfectly pure bottle of water because there's no trihalomethanes in it, no chemicals in it, and it's just, it's just a beautiful bottle of water, and you can taste it immediately. When you taste it, it's sweet because rainwater cleans your mouth. I know it's kind of gross, but there's calcium on your teeth. All day long, it's building up calcium. It washes that off. It's just amazing, so I've never had anybody say, boy, that's a lousy bottle of water. It's always, hey, this is the best darn bottle I've ever had. And it's it just, that's the fact. That's what kept us going because it's the absolute truth. There's any kind of comparison of another bottle of water. It's just like blind testing is just kind of a simple thing to do because you just, it's so obvious. And I've
0: come, been through a lot of them and rainwater always prevails. And great job, as always, to Monty Montgomery. And you've been listening to Richard Heineken, Richard's Rainwater, the story behind the product and the man here on Our American Stories. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.